630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Okay, after the first, the Islanders lead the Capitals 2-0. The Stars have beaten the Flames 2-1 to go up 3-2 in the series. Vegas and Chicago face off at 8.30 here in Edmonton. Vegas will try to win the series, and the Flyers shut out the Canadians again. 2-0 the final today, so they go up 3-1 in the best of seven. Good CFL discussion in the first hour of the show. Len Rhodes and Ryan King were our guests, and uh, we'll have more on the league shutting down for the season throughout the week here on Inside Sports. And, of course, very sad today, Dale Howarchuk passed away at the age of 57. And to remember Dale Howarchuk, we welcome to the show from Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Rogers, it is Scott Oak. Scott, thanks for checking in tonight, and I know you're kind of in the middle of doing some game prep. Uh, how are things? Well, uh, good, except it's a very, very sad day for hockey. Uh, you know, Dale was... Uh, one of the greatest players ever to play the game. And I think most people would acknowledge that because he played out West, uh, he was overshadowed to a large extent by Gretzky and, uh, and Lemieux. Uh, but I saw a tweet from Doug Gilmore today that said, could you imagine if Dale Howard Chuck had played in Toronto? He'd have been off the charts. So uh, great player, great person, very humble, and uh, he will be well-remembered. Well, and, and I, I've seen some of your coverage today, and uh, was it you and Louis DeBrus just talked to him in, in the spring? Yeah, we did our uh, after-hours show online, as most shows and TV switched to online during the pandemic, and uh, it was May the 2nd that we spoke to Dale. Uh, he had uh, been um, good for a couple of weeks because he'd rung the bell of hope at the hospital at Barrie, I think about two weeks before we did that show. So he, he was winning the battle decidedly then. It was a very upbeat discussion. Talked a lot about uh, the fight against cancer. And, um, and I was really impressed, as was Louis, that you know Dale is a hockey superstar, but this is part of his humility. He was made clear in that interview with us that he was more than willing to help anyone who was battling the disease and try to inspire them any way he could. So that was a large part of the discussion. And then we talked about you know some of his hockey memories and, I remember when Dale came to Winnipeg in 1981, he had 16 points in his first month of his career. And that month ended with uh, the Jets playing at Maple Leaf Gardens. And Dave Hodge interviewed Dale because he led the Jets to victory that night. He's 18 years old then, don't forget. And uh, Dave asked him a question. He said, um, and this was a fair question. He said, are you worried about uh, you know being immersed in a losing season because the Jets had only won nine games the year before and uh, Dale didn't even hesitate he said hey I was brought up uh, as a winner and we've got a good team here and I think we can have a winning season and sure enough he left the Jets to a 48 point improvement won the Calder and that was the start of his Hall of Fame career well and I'm hoping you can expand as well I, I briefly uh, chatted with with Dave Ellett today a former Winnipeg Jet who played most of the 80s with uh with with, uh, with dale and here's what dave ellett said he basically turned that franchise around i don't recall him ever saying it was about him though it was always team first he became a manitoban he loved being in winnipeg i thought that was a really cool quote from dave ellett and i think it was uh spot on uh, and uh dave would know as well as anyone another person who would know as well as anyone was craig heisinger is the uh uh, Jets equipment manager at the time and of course has gone on to become the assistant general manager of the uh, of Jets 2.0 uh, 
But you know, Reed, that equipment managers know everything about every player. So uh, Zinger, as he's known, knew Dale as well as anyone in hockey. And uh, I said this on the broadcast today, but uh, Zinger um, always referred to Dale as hockey's lowest maintenance superstar. Never complained about anything. Never complained about his sticks, his skate, his equipment, nothing. And most of all, never complained about how desperately the opposition tried to knock him off his game. They tried everything in their power. And the only uh, time I can recall that he actually had to stop playing was when Jamie McCown got him at that cross-check in the playoffs in 1985, and he was a force, a force to miss the rest of the, of the postseason. But that was Dale. He just played. Never complained about a thing. Uh, Zinger has a... Um, a funny story, and again, I told this on the air today, so I apologize to people who may have seen it, repeating myself, but um, Zinger, as the equipment manager, said there was a, a defenseman who played for the Jets, Randy Carlisle, you know him well, of course, uh, is Norris Trophy winner, but he said Randy complained incessantly about his sticks. They weren't painted right, didn't have the right lie, whatever. Probably went through 100 that season. Dale just carried on with his Louisville slugger pattern that he'd used his whole career, and uh, and Dale had 100 points that year, and Randy had 10. So, um, you know, he, he he just was all about playing. He he didn't really, you know, take anything else into consideration for himself, but he took his teammates into consideration. He never, and this is where Dave Ellett is correct. It was never about Dale, uh, you know, leading the way, concessions made for him as the leader of the team. Nothing like that. He was all about playing and playing for his teammates in the city. Well, and uh, I mean, I think for a, a few years there in the 80s, Scott, Dale Howardchuck, and, and you, you sort of touched on this a little bit off the top, but a, a victim of geography because, oh, by the way, the Oilers are in your division, and oh, by the way, the Calgary Flames are in your division. Like, you, you might have been able to throw some of those Winnipeg teams in the Patrick or the Adams division, as they were known at the time, and they're going to the league conference finals, if not the Stanley Cup final. I agree with you, and I think in some years, Reed, uh, when they lost to the Oilers, that, that you could make a case that the Jets were the second-best team in the league. Uh, you know, But who was going to beat the Oilers? And, and the Jets lost to them in the playoffs on a regular basis, and sometimes to Calgary as well, but they beat Calgary uh, playoff series, uh, but could never beat the Oilers. And uh, that you're right, just a victim of geography. And Dale often spoke about that. Uh, I know when they had the uh, Heritage Classic in Winnipeg in 16, October of 16, um, I, I was the guy doing the interview with him on stage during one of the intermissions. And uh, you know, he was very emotional about it. And the crowd just ate it up. And I, and I should point that out, too, that uh, I said again today that Dale was and forever shall be hockey royalty in Winnipeg. When it was announced in uh, October of last year that he was battling cancer, he stepped away from coaching the Barry Colts. Um, you know, a lot of people in Winnipeg were crestfallen because that's how much Dale meant to them over the years. Uh, then, you know, felt better, felt relieved when it looked like he was winning the battle as he was when we talked to him on May the 2nd on After Hours. And then, of course, the uh, cancer came screaming back with a vengeance. He got the terminal diagnosis in in July, and um, and it, uh, it it claimed his life. Yeah, S Scott. Again, thanks for coming on the show tonight. Uh, I know you got a broadcast to, to prepare for, but uh, I can hear the emotion in your voice, and I know it's important for you to talk about Dale and and certainly people who who got to see him play. 
uh, are reminded and, and people who didn't uh, get to, to see him play. Uh, I, I'm glad they got to hear your description of him as a person and a player, Scott. Thank you so much well, for I'm checking just, in tonight. Uh, add one more thing, Reed. Yep. You should never forget that uh, Dale was, although one of the greatest players in the history of the game, and I, that's not a stretch, he was also uh, a loving, caring father and husband uh, to his wife, Crystal, who's from Arbor in the Interlake area of Manitoba. So there's a lot of people there mourning today. And then his kids, of course, uh, Eric, Ben, and, and Alexis. Scott, thank you so much. I hope we can talk again. Thank you, Reed. Take care. That is Scott O checking in tonight from Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Rogers. And great perspective from Scott on... Dale Howarchuk, who's who's definitely one of the all-time greats. I can give his stats. Uh, I, I mean, he played 1,188 games, had 1,409 points, but a lot of people remembering the the type of person that he was. Uh, I, I read the quotes from, uh, or I got to talk to Dave Ellett earlier today. He also told, told me this. He says, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who loved the game of hockey and the people involved in it more than Dale Howarchuk referred to by Craig Heisinger, who was the Jets' equipment manager when Dale was playing, called him the low-maintenance superstar. Scott Oak just called, told a great story there about his sticks and Randy Carlisle always complaining about his sticks, and Dale Howardchuck was fine with the same stick every night and went out and got 100 points. And another testament to what a great player he was, there used to be this tournament called the Canada Cup, and uh, I, I always feel like I'm talking to a wide age range on this show, and maybe that's because I'm, I'm pretty much middle-aged at the stage I'm at in my life. So I guess I assume half of you are older than me and half are younger. But it, the, the 1987 Canada Cup was, to me, the greatest hockey tournament ever played. The 1991 Canada Cup uh, was played four years later. And Dale Howarchuk was on both those teams. And if you, never, if, if you don't know what the Canada Cup is, it was kind of like the Olympics, except more competitive and more intense. I mean, there were only six teams in it. And it was played before the season in late August and early September when all the players were ready to go. And there was some real true hatred between some of the nations in those tournaments. And and you wouldn't have thought of leaving Dale Howarchuk off the Canadian teams in 87 and 91. So another testament to his greatness and and as I said uh, earlier, he was heavily involved in one of the most famous goals in Canadian hockey history. The face-off in Canada's end, a 5-5 tie, face-off to the left of Grant Fewer late in the third period against the Soviet Union, as they were known. And uh, Howarchuk takes the face-off, and he ties it up, and Lemieux pushes it up to Gretzky. And uh, away Gretzky goes back to Lemieux and he fires in the game winner. Canada wins the game 6-5. Howard Chuck also a bit of a crafty play, maybe a little bit of interference behind the play to stop a back checker from catching up to Lemieux. So a huge impact there. He's going to be missed. Uh, one of the all-time greats for sure. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Quest today or what, Kellen? We did. When the standing is this a Roadhammer song? It is, yeah. This is a band called The Poodles, and the song is called The Greatest. Oh, good stuff. All right. Thank you, Roadhammer, who is also our Sylvan Lake Alliance of Wrestling 
undisputed, undefeated champion. He texted in a couple songs he wanted to hear coming back from break to 780-496-0063. You can do the same if you're so inclined and you own a telephone that allows you to text. If you have a rotary phone and you've been trying to text, just give up now. Usually I wouldn't encourage giving up, but in this situation, you probably should. Hope you've had a great day. Alexander Ovechkin just bangs in a one-timer on the power play and the Capitals are not going away. They tie it 2-2 with the Islanders about five and a half minutes into the second period. An Islanders win would give them a sweep and a spot in the second round. Blackhawks and Golden Knights will face off in about an hour and 20 minutes of Rogers Place. Vegas up 3-1 in the series. The Flyers shut out the Canadians 2-0. Carter Hart does it again for Philly. Not a lot of offense in that series. And the Stars get by the Flames 2-1. So Calgary on the brink of elimination. Dallas leads that series three games to two. I it's, I feel like every playoff, I was going to say every spring, but these playoffs aren't in the spring. Every, every playoff season, I am reminded and something is reinforced for me. And it's evident in the regular season in the NHL. But I feel it comes to the forefront even more so in the postseason. And it is this, that goaltending is the most important position in hockey and perhaps the most important position in any sport. I I guess I'm specifically talking about basketball, baseball, football, and hockey. Starting pitching is pretty important in baseball, but your ace pitcher is only going to pitch every fifth day or so. Quarterback, hugely important in football, but, uh, you know, he doesn't play defense. He's not on the field at all for about half the game. Basketball, clearly you need star players that play most of the game. Um, You know, most teams usually have a dominant big man, though that's not always the case and perhaps less so these days. I mean, Steph Curry was the dominant player on the Warriors. Uh, Michael Jordan was more of a guard, even though he was big. Magic Johnson, big for a guard, but they they didn't necessarily play uh, inside all the time. So I just think, I I mean, I was thinking thinking about Carter Hart for the Flyers. The Flyers have had a lot of good teams over the years. They're usually a fairly competitive team. They've been to the Stanley Cup uh, final a few times. I mean, they lost a couple of times to the Oilers. Uh, they, they lost to Chicago. They've, they've gone to conference finals in other years. And a lot of times, one of their downfalls was, was that their goaltender just couldn't match up against the guy at the other end. Now, in the mid-'80s, they did have Pelly Lindbergh in 1985 when they lost the Oilers. He was excellent, tragically was killed. Ron Hextall was excellent in 1987 against the Oilers, uh, won the Conn Smythe. But after that, they, they kind of always have had goaltending that wasn't quite good enough. And they drafted Carter Hart, played forever in the Western Hockey League, grew up in Sherwood Park. He just turned 22 on the 13th a few days ago. And they got him 48th overall in 2016. And, and I'm thinking about that now. How how does he not go higher? And I and I know there's a whole thing. Well, goalies take longer to develop, and there's you know there there's maybe a bigger hit or miss ratio with uh, with goaltenders. And but his his junior hockey career is is one of the best ever in major junior. 
I mean, he, I'm just checking his stats. He had 116 wins, 46 losses, and 19 overtime or shootout losses. He had a 920 save, 927 save percentage for his career in junior hockey. I mean, I realize with goaltenders, okay, there's all the uncertainty, all that kind of stuff. But Carter Hart was, to me, pretty much a sure thing. Now, granted, some of the stats he put up in junior were, were after he was drafted. But I'm, I'm just thinking, how does, how does a potential franchise-shifting goaltender not go until 48th in the draft? You know, behind Chad Chris, behind Boris Kachuk, behind Adam Mischarin, behind Jonathan Dallin, just to lift, list off some players who went ahead of Carter Hart and have not played a game in the National Hockey League. I mean, I, I know it would have been absurd at the time because the Oilers actually took the player who was ranked the highest. What if the Oilers had taken Carter Hart instead of Jesse Pugliarvi? And, and I know that's an insane what if because that was never even on the table. But it makes me wonder why, if you have a goaltender and you have a really, really good goaltender, who could even be top 12 in the NHL consistently. That changes the fortunes of your franchise. Kerry Hart went fifth to the Canadians, or Kerry uh, Price, I should say. He went fifth to the Canadians, and 15 years later, he's still really, really good. I mean, Carter Hart just turned 22. He could be good for Philadelphia until, what, 2033? That changes everything for them. What have the Oilers been looking for since Rolison left? You know, maybe briefly they had him in, with Dubnik and they didn't s stick with him. There's a lot of great players in the NHL, and, and you, need, you need a team. But I don't think there is anything that changes the fortunes of your team like a reliable, above-average goaltender or even an excellent goaltender. And, and Carter Hart looks like an excellent goaltender. Anyway, just some random thoughts tonight. Love chatting with Sean Fitzgerald from The Athletic. We'll touch on a few topics with him when we get back to Inside Sports. question from Mike who called in and talked to Kellen during the news break about Carter Hart. I was talking about the exceptional Flyers goaltender before we went to break and Mike said, did Carter Hart not have an injury that affected his draft standing? Uh, I think Mike, you're thinking of his final year of junior in 17-18. He played 41 games, had a 947 save percentage. He, I, I believe he missed some time that year but his draft year was 15-16 because he was drafted in 2016 and in that year he played 63 games for Everett and uh, had a 9-18 save percentage so that was his most relevant junior year most recent junior year going into the draft so yeah, yeah good question but uh, it wasn't his draft year where he played a little less than he had some of his other years with uh, Everett yeah excellent young goaltender and of course from Sherwood Park NHL eight and a half minutes left in the second period Islanders and Capitals tied 2-2. The Islanders are on the power play. They are going for a sweep in that series, and they look good to do it. They led 2-0, but Washington has fought back. Dallas beating Calgary 2-1. John Klingberg 
got the game winner at 112 of the third. So Dallas up 3-2 in that best of seven. Blackhawks and Golden Knights face off in about an hour at Rogers Place. And uh, Carter Hart with the shutout flyers over the Canadians 2-0. Tomorrow at 10 a.m. Edmonton time, Blue Jackets and the Lightning. The Hurricanes play the Bruins at 2. At 3.30, it's the Coyotes and the Avalanche. Canadians and Flyers play again. That one's at 6. So I'll be keeping you updated during the show. And then uh, the late one tomorrow, the Canucks and the Blues. Series is tied 2-2, but uh, the Blues look like they're they're getting back to their grinding selves. And, of course, they have the skill to finish chances as well. It was Look, when the Oilers went out, we spent the whole next week talking about that they didn't grind they didn't check well enough, and all that is true. But you need this—you need the skill as well. You—you—you you, you need both. And and now we're seeing with the Canadians, they have goaltending, and I think they're playing hard, and they're working hard, and they're checking. But they—they they just don't have the elite level finish on the Canadians. I mean, Tatar is a pretty good player. Kotkaniemi's got a lot of promise. Uh, you know, Deneau is a decent player. Gallagher, but they like they don't have that the couple of those top end guys. Uh, that can really finish chances. Hart's playing well. So the, the the teams that rely only on grinding can win a round or two. They can't win the Stanley Cup. You have to have the well-rounded roster of the of the grinding and the skill. 780-496-0063 to call or text. I am pleased to be joined by one of my all-time favorite guests to have on the show. He is a senior writer for the Athletic Canada and not because he's 108 years old, just because he's really good at his job. It is Sean Fitzgerald. Sean, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? You know what? With an introduction like that, I was waiting to see him. Like, who's he, who's he got on? I can't wait to hear this. And now I'm kind of disappointed. <laughs> you're thinking like, oh, this is great. I'll stay on the phone until it's my turn. Or I'll this just go awesome. listen online. This guy, sounds, this guy sounds great. I can't wait to hear what he has to say. And it's like, well, crap. How you doing? Well, yet nobody is disappointed to uh, to hear your voice, and we can hit on a few things tonight. It's it's always good to catch up with you, uh, man. I I thought it looked like okay, Washington's not interested. They want to leave the bubble, but they've come back to at least tie this game. Still a long road for them, but at least they're making Game Four interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't have the game on in front of me. I've I've, I've watched enough empty arena hockey for the day. Uh, and plus, I want to focus 100% on, on this conversation with you. So so I'll take your word at that one there for sure. But uh, other than that, it looks like Canada's run of not winning a Stanley Cup on Canadian soil uh, could potentially be extended unless the, uh, the trusty Canucks do something in this best out of three series they got coming up. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they, they took the first two from the Blues. In Calgary, you know, I, I thought, and I, I actually picked Calgary to win that series, and then when they won game three, I thought, okay, great. Talbot's looking good. And, of course, in Edmonton, I've seen Cam Talbot do very well. But then they couldn't hold on to that lead in the last game. They got badly outshot and outshot again today. And now I wonder if Dallas is really starting to roll. Yeah, and you got the Canadians with, you know, Carey Price and Carey Price Jr. with, you know, uh, just not being able to get Montreal's not able to generate anything against uh, the kid from Sherwood Park. So, I mean, you mentioned the, the lack of top end talent, too. It wasn't necessarily for lack of trying. It was just maybe a, a poorly considered trade that, remember, the Bergevin sent, you know, a kid named Mikhail Sergachev to, I think, Tampa Bay for uh, Jonathan Drouin, who I noticed you didn't mention in your roundup, the potential elite talent there. Well, that was a huge oversight on my part. Well, or because was it's it? not really elite talent in this series, is it? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Fair. No, Fair. That's, that's, that's my point. No, that's, that's not throwing shade at you. That's, 
that's absolutely a complete, I, I don't know if it's, you want to call it a complete whiff, but when you're giving up something like they just did, and not just, but, but that blue line talent for somebody that you know you have that need and, and you're hoping that he can fill it. And the fact that, you know, we're sitting here talking about all of their potential young talent, but not talking about the guy that they gave up a potential star defenseman for, I think that's a, that's a fair indictment. Well, Druin's had that, uh, I don't know if it's fair to call him enigmatic necessarily, but he's got that little uh, inconsistent up and down reputation, I, I would think. Which, yeah, it probably isn't something great when you're looking for a team that needs help scoring goals and they come in bunches. You need somebody who can maybe produce on a, on a bit more of a consistent basis, especially you know when we don't know how many more elite years of Carey Price you have behind you. And certainly Shea Weber and his beard aren't getting younger. Um, so you know losing a chance like this would, would have to sting. And, and that's one of the things that you just have to look back on you know, Mark Bergevin's LinkedIn page whenever his time in Montreal was done. Oh, yeah, I, I love that image that he actually has all his trades on his LinkedIn page. Like, hey, I, I did this. Should. Yeah, I think they should. That's mandatory. You can have you can have like agents and other GMs endorse that skill or endorse that trade. I think it'd be great. <laughs> Rating each trade, you could vote online. That'd be fun. Hey, uh, we often talk Canadian football with you, and we did it earlier this year. But we're we're not talking about games. Uh, we're talking about nothing. How are you feeling? I know you. I know you love the league. I know you live in a city where it's not the same as it is in in my city, perhaps with uh, with the general consensus about the league. But but how are you? How are you dealing with the the no season here for the CFL? I mean, the CFL just made a whole bunch of missteps all along the way, and I think the first one was they didn't offer to host all of the games here in Toronto because if you're going to try and ride out a pandemic, the safest way you can do it is inside BMO Field during an Argos game because um, there's nobody there there it is there it is um, <laughs> no i mean it's not going to be the same it's i mean obviously that's a stupid thing for me to say but i mean friday night football you know nice hot summer nights here you're watching a football game you, you become engrossed in in a game that you know you didn't think you really wanted to watch that that lions alouettes game but here we are late on a friday night and you're not going to have the labor day you're not going to have those you know as the weather starts to turn and the elements start to change and the you know the, the season really amps up in that final six weeks and and the gray cup like it's you know, none of us, I don't think, I mean, maybe some of your listeners might have been around, but, you know, since 1919, none of us have been around when there, there has been a fall without a great cup being awarded. So it's going to be really strange. And I, I do think that, you know, should the book ever be written, there's a lot of blame to go around. And, you know, I, I think a lot of it is potentially, depending if you believe the reports, um, you know, some of the, the private owners. And I think that, you know, for whatever reason, the commissioner didn't perform nearly as well as he should have um, in that first uh, conference call, that Zoom meeting with the, uh, the finance committee when he went looking for federal assistance without a clear vision or apparently a plan or even notes at his disposal that he could consult during the grilling that he received. Yeah, and that really surprised me because, you know, Randy's got a lot of enthusiasm and, and he's always seemed to have a lot of ideas and it still kind of surprises me he didn't handle that better. I Like, I don't know if that was still a lingering strike against him here with the ultimate decision about the loan over, over the weekend, but that surprised me he didn't have something more concrete then. I mean, his, the thing is, I mean, obviously there had been a lot of tension with uh, the labor 
with the Players Association. And that relationship had been, I don't know if in tatters is, you know, too dramatic, but it, it certainly had been challenging. But the fact that it came out, what, almost immediately after, um, that the players hadn't even been consulted before that, and it wasn't ever made clear, you know, where this money would be going. Remember, it was, I think it was $30 million up front and then another $120 million should the season not go forward. It was never made clear where that money would go. And then you had questions that were unanswered about, yes, the CFL has three community-owned teams in Winnipeg, Edmonton, and Saskatchewan. But, you know, several of the other teams, they're not owned by the local dentist anymore. Like, like Maple Leaf right. Sports and Entertainment is a multi-billion dollar company. David Braley is not, you know, struggling to, to pay for, you know, the, the monthly cable bill. He is one of the, the wealthier people in Canada. Ottawa, Montreal, very wealthy people that, you know, the Stampeders were owned by somebody who, before the pandemic and the economic meltdown, had at one point been worth more than a billion dollars personally. So there was a lot of money in those private teams. And, you know, asking Canadian taxpayers for 30 or $150 million without a clear, laid out business plan in full concert with the players really struck a hollow note and I think it showed and I don't think they ever recovered Sean Fitzgerald from The Athletic joining us tonight I had a if you have time to go back and listen to Len Rhodes on tonight he was on between 6 and 6 30 and of course he used to be the president of the Edmonton Football Club and he looked at it and said this might be an opportunity for the CFL to come out of this like the NHL came out of the the lost lockout season in 0405 different circumstances but try to innovate, try to reset, try to, to draw in fans with some, some excitement. And he even went so far that he thinks the, the CFL needs to consider, easier said than done, obviously, but Len's thinking big here, flat out becoming a developmental league for the NFL and even going to NFL rules. Like, that is drastic, but Len's not shy. He put it out there as something that needs to be considered. That, but that would be quite an adjustment for me, though, and probably a lot of Canadians. I, uh, wow. <laughs> You're picking up your jaw. You are picking your jaw up off the floor. I, I, I mean, I don't know how much airtime you got left, and I don't know if, I know it's getting late out here, so I might be free to swear on the air, but I know it's, you know, a little bit earlier in Alberta. I, <laughs> I mean, at that point, why bother? Why not just bring up the Toronto Phantoms and we can play arena football again? Like, what makes the CFL unique is that it's the CFL. Right, like it's, it's quirky. It's got its things. It's you know everybody has that favorite fun story about the CFL and certainly Grey Cup week and and all of that stuff. But it is three downs. It's a bigger field. It's a wider field. It's a deeper field. It still has the opportunity for weird fun stuff to happen. Like you can't take three knees at the end of a game and run out the clock. Like all of these things make the game what it is. And I think for fans, that's what it's. That's what you enjoy. I mean, I love college football I, in, in the United States. I, I enjoy the NFL. I am a lifelong CFL fan. I do not need the CFL to be exactly the same as the NFL. I think that would be, I, I don't know exactly the right way forward, but whatever the right way forward is, that would be 180 degrees. Right. <laughs> well, it's a, the, he really got people talking with that. The text started coming in as soon as he brought that up. I think you should, if you got time, though, Sean, listen to the whole interview because he pitched some other things about innovation. And I mean, Len was oh, in that it's role. It's quarter and, to 10 out here, man. Like, you want well, to get a while. That's not going to be able to sleep till 3 in the morning. <laughs> well, you can do You can do it. I, I give you permission to wait until tomorrow to do it. But, but, uh, Shrink but you, the you, fields you, down and play four downs. Like, what is the point at that point? Like, the, the, the CFL is. 
it's unique it's quirky it's it's canadian it's ours like it's not great to necessarily thump you know nationalism or anything here but but the canadian football league is in a lot of ways remember that old marketing campaign uniquely canadian and i think you chase away you know the fans that you have rather quickly if you went to, to four downs in a smaller field and running at the clock and ugh. anyway do you think the NFL would ever buy and operate the CFL, or would that not even be worth it to them? I mean, they tried that before, and they moved away from it. I think there's a good reason, too. That, I mean, so you get, you know, uh, who would be a really good example? Maybe maybe we're looking at, like, a Cameron Wake, right? Like Cameron Wake, you know, the BC Lions defensive end somehow slipped through the cracks in the NFL, and all of a sudden had, you know, became a pretty clearly a star. Does he get a chance to have that, you know, otherworldly season when – I think I argued that year that he should have been MOP when he wasn't, but like he wouldn't have got to that season because if it's a developmental league, the NFL can just pull him down just like somebody from the NHL could pull up somebody from the American Hockey League. Like It would really rob the fans of, I think, players that you could grow to like. Like If you're a fan, like practically speaking, and the NFL can pull up anybody they want at any time, Like how do you ever buy a jersey with a name on the back? Do you know what I mean? Like, like How do you develop any attachment to the team if the players are just so transient even yeah, more I mean, so than they are already yeah and uh, that's true there 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 are it, it is pretty bad that way anyway, i suppose there'd have to be some roster protection or, or a cutoff date where a guy's with his canadian team for the for the rest of the year but yeah cam wake's a good example i mean he is man i'm trying to think of other because he never played in the nfl before he came to canada did he no i, mean, I don't think you're he did at all at, you're looking at maybe you're looking at maybe like a cam wake you're looking at a casey printers who in effect did sort of i mean garcia was pretty anyway. good once he left yeah you know like there's, there's a lot of players who show a ton of potential who if it was a straight up development league where there was no barrier in between um and, and you could you know, pull up people right off the roster. If that's what we're talking about, then, then yeah, like those guys are gone. And you know what's yeah. good for them? Because they'd make more money potentially in the short term down there. But, I mean, think of what you'd be taking away from fans up here. Uh, before I let you go, how good are the Raptors relative to last year? How deep are they going to go? Oh, my God. I mean, it's tough without Kawhi. But, I mean, you take a look at that first game. I mean, you know, the, the late swoon notwithstanding, but, but this team played defense. This team has depth. This team, I mean, if, if they're able to stay healthy, I mean, they, they, they have so much that I, I think, you know, I, there's going to be a lot of roadblocks. I mean, there's, there's still potentially Milwaukee, assuming they rebound. There's, there's Boston. There's, there's still a lot of big hurdles to overcome if you get past this first round. But, I mean, they're going to make it interesting. And, and frankly, they, they, they might end up being the, the, the last Canadian team left standing in this NHL NBA bubble. All right, before I let you go, I mean, we've talked to you in, in the past about your excellent book, Before the Lights Go Out, about the state of hockey in Canada. I had uh, somebody on from Hockey Edmonton last night about its return to play, and you have penned something about some minor hockey uh, things that could be happening in, uh, in Ontario for this fall. Yeah, I mean, in Ontario... Um, you know, there's, there's a bunch of things still at play that, you know, the insurance and the liability limits that, you know, you've seen already dealt with and, you know, for example, British Columbia are still up in the air here. So, you know, in parts, in, in, in a big swath of Ontario, um, you know, they're looking at potentially rosters of 10. 
So you have nine skaters and a goalie. Uh, you're looking at no league play, no rep hockey, no travel hockey, no tournaments, um, and nothing more than three-on-three three or four-on-four four play for the foreseeable future. Wow. Okay. We'll keep an eye on that too. Hey, you're the best, man. I just love having you on just to chat about whatever. It, it is always fun. We'll do this again soon. Hope things are well with you and the family, man. I can't stop thinking about that plan for the CFL. I'm not going to sleep for hours now, and it's your fault. But thanks for having me on anyway. Yeah, Appreciate no, it. No, no problem. Glad to have an impact on your life. That's Sean Fitzgerald, uh, senior national writer for The Athletic Canada. A great guy, uh, knows his stuff, knows uh, about everything going on. And we talked on a, f- a few different topics there. Love having him on the program. 2-2 Washington and the Islanders. It is now after 2. We'll take one final break on Inside Sports. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. A lot of good discussion about the future of the Canadian Football League. Mark Kohan, former commissioner, is scheduled to join us tomorrow. Kelly Rudy coming up later this week as well. Really appreciate you tuning in. and uh, We'll keep you updated on all the scores. Uh, good to have Scott Oak on the show tonight as well. Some uh, really great memories of uh, Dale Howarchuk gone far too soon at the age of uh, 57 after uh, a battle with stomach cancer. One of the all-time greats uh, came into the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Scott mentioned they won nine games the year before he was drafted. The Jets won nine out of 80 games, and they got to be pretty good. Obviously, could never really get deep into the playoffs, but he was an absolutely outstanding player. All right, so here's the latest from the National Hockey League. It is now after two periods in Toronto, 2-2 Capitals and Islanders. Peugeot and Barzell scored for the Isles in the first. Kuznetsov and Ovechkin coming back in the second period for the Capitals. Washington must win to stay alive. Dallas takes down Calgary 2-1. They lead that series three games to two. The Flyers blank the Canadians 2-0. So they lead that series three games to one. And uh, Montreal just cannot score. Well, they got five in one game. And uh, that's been it. That, that, is, uh, that has been it. Well, I guess they got one in their first game. And coming up at 8.30, Blackhawks and the Golden Knights. You can get more on 630chet.com, globalnews.ca. Hey, I really appreciate everybody for tuning in tonight. Appreciate your feedback on the text line. Didn't have much time for open line the last couple of days, but uh, we'll get your voices in here as we move along. Dave Campbell's the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy is your studio operator. My name is Reed. Take care. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.